welcome to the newest episode of the Read Right to Left podcast. We took a break last month, but we're back and eager and excited to talk to you about vampire manga. I, as always, am G, joined by my wonderful co-host Ray from Whimsical Pictures. Hi guys. And Ray, I, is, this is certainly a topic for you. <laughs> vampire Absolutely. Manga. <laughs> Just, uh, you know... Uh, we always try to do a spooky topic for our October podcast, um, and this is the spooky topic we went with this year. Um, and yes, vampires are a uh, both a guilty and non-guilty pleasure of mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've read uh, many a vampire manga, and today we're here to talk about them. Uh, we also went with this topic specifically because we have an exciting uh, vampire-related release uh, that came recently, which was mm-hmm. uh, volume one of hashtag DRCL, hashtag Dracula, <laughs> uh, by the Minasan creator. Uh, what's his name? Shinichi. Oh, God. Sakamoto? Uh, me on... I believe so. You're putting me on the spot here, right? Yes. But... Shinichi Sakamoto. We um, always carefully research all of our episodes. <laughs> As you can tell, we are incredibly professional and therefore should be your first choice for manga podcasts. Absolutely. So I, of course, uh, read volume one of hashtag Dracula uh, for this podcast, and I'm pretty sure you did too as well, G, right? Absolutely. I... I had to make the personal sacrifice of buying it digitally because my physical copy has not yet arrived to me because I just I have had major manga struggles over the last several weeks for anyone who's been following my social medias but I have read it because it was one that I wanted to read not just for this podcast but just generally I'm very interested in um, this mangaka's work. I've heard nothing but good things. And man, the vibes on hashtag DRCL is just, mwah, I loved it. Mm, on point. <laughs> so gothic, so like haunted, spooky vibes. Um, of course, if you've seen any of the spreads from this series or from Minosan, uh, Shinichi Sakamoto's artwork um, mm-hmm. is worthy of a conversation all on its own. Oh, it's, absolutely. Um, incredibly lush. Mm-hmm. It's uh, just incredibly, like, detail does not even begin to <laughs> cover it. Um, it's, there is so much, like, overflowing beauty on every single mm-hmm. page. Mm-hmm. Um, the character designs are uh, much more close to realism than I think you would typically expect from manga, mm-hmm. uh, but also sort of have like a, a creepy, like haunted aspect to them that's mm-hmm. really compelling. Um, but yeah, uh, in terms of what hashtag DRCL is about, uh, I mean, it's it's by and large like a take on Dracula. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it takes place in a 
largely in like a boarding school, British boarding school, I think. Yes, yeah, I believe British. Um, although we have a very colorful mix of cast, main cast, who mm. are all based off of characters from Bram Stoker's original novel. Um, for any of those, any of those listening who haven't read Dracula or haven't followed along with Dracula Daily. There is a cowboy in that novel that you may not be aware of. Um it's a, it's a, it's a, it's much more than just like straight there's a creepy vampire. It's much more like I am a British man who is just utterly confused by all of these foreign <laughs> locals. Um and Arthur's not the smartest the smartest cookie in the jar. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to seeing how this this particular manga plays out. It also features um, the... I, I don't know how to quite describe... The travel of the, the ship, the dieter, whatever mm -hmm. it is called. The voyage, that's yeah. the word I'm looking for. Um, which is how Dracula made it to England in the first place which does this is not how the novel goes but this is all part of the Dracula lore in the novel um we are in a very vampire like season of life it feels there's just a lot of vampire media coming out and um yes, it, it seems it's it seems just per perfect for this spooky season um and in saying all of that, you don't actually need to know any background info on the novel Dracula to be able to enjoy this manga, I feel. It might help, but it's very it's very much got its own vibe. It's doing a lot of different things, and I look forward to seeing how these 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 quirky group of teen teens figure out this ongoing mystery um, <laughs> of monster happening. In their quiet seaside boarding school. Yeah. It's also very gendered, which is worth Very gender. Very, very gender. Again, not That's atypical. all the best vampire media is. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Which makes um, Shinichi Sakamoto perfect for this because his, his other series, from what I understand, is also very gender. So it just, it seems like a perfect fit. Uh, do you recommend? I don't feel like there's a lot to go into, like a lot of detail to go into with the plot so far because mm -hmm. we're just sort of getting things set up, getting our mystery set up, getting our mm -hmm. characters set up. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, definitely one to keep an eye on going forward. As part of the vampire oeuvre of manga, Ray, as a connoisseur yourself, how would you say that that hashtag drcl fits within the very broad <laughs> the very broad <laughs> vampire genre because we we truly do have all sorts of vampire media everything from you know spicy bodice ripper style of stuff <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> both both heterosexual and gay you know it's not it's not just the hats who are enjoying their vampire lovers um, to all the complete opposite side of the spectrum of just like super classic horror psychological thriller stuff sort of like that happiness like style 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two, like, just, like, grotesque, like, you know, action beat-em-ups. Mm-hmm. Slasher kind of stuff. To also, um, like, slice of life, oh, I'm a daily <laughs> life of uh, yeah. Dracula, and you're like, oh, okay. Silly, clumsy vampire <laughs> girl. <laughs> or boy. Um, or boy. Or boy. <laughs> uh, that's the popular one right now, right, is uh, Uketsu Asugushinu. Mm. Um, it's like a shonen gag manga. It's one of the things that I love about vampires, right? They you really can do any any fucking thing you want with them. Um, you you can find vampires in any genre, whatever genre you fancy. Um, and I just love the versatility of them as a monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, in terms of hashtag DRCL, it's definitely on the more like classic horror side of things. As we've mm-hmm. said, it's a take on um, Bram Stoker's Dracula. The Dracula in question is certainly more of the like ancient horror, horror. kind of <laughs> vibes. Um, there's uh, some very like grotesque like body horror involving uh, moss, like fungi. Oh yeah. <laughs> which seems to be part of how this uh, spreads. It reminded me of The Last of Us quite a bit. And in that, like, vein, there's certainly, like, a lot of vampire stuff that I haven't read in manga because it would be impossible to read all of it. But what it reminded me the most of in Vibe is what you just mentioned, which is Happiness mm-hmm. um, by Shizo Oshimi. Um, Ten-volume series. Um starts off as a pretty standard like vampirism as a metaphor for puberty kind of thing yeah yeah yeah. uh with a a teenage boy like getting bit by a sexy lady vampire uh in the middle of the night gets jumped um and like you know his body changes in ways that he doesn't quite know how to come to terms with and in ways that are frightening um and then he discovers he is spider-man no he discovers (laughs) (laughs) Um, he's spider-man except he's suddenly really into like girls who are uh on their periods which is (laughs) um it's a kink a very oshimi detail to include (laughs) yes (laughs) um but uh That's the first couple volumes, you know, Mm. maybe like charitably the first two, but really Mm -hmm. the first one. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And and things go from there. (laughs) Um, This series gets real wild, real fast. Uh, It spans a large, very large cross section of time. Since it does feature immortal characters, it also features mortal characters who we follow through their whole lives. Um, We get into, like, serial killers and cult stuff and um, child experimentation, a lot of body horror. Yeah. Um, This is another series that I think is extremely notable for its art 
Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, Oshimi is always an incredibly beautiful, uh, say, unsettling artist. And I think happiness is, like, the farthest that Oshimi has ever been able to, like, go with um, their art. Mm -hmm. Uh, In terms of just, like, there being a lot of supernatural elements that they can explore with it. Um, yeah, just, like, the way that this thing is, like, laid out, the paneling is wild. Um, it's very expressionistic. Um, the things, like, the backgrounds, the characters, the way the character sees gets distorted Mm -hmm. wildly out of control as the character is going through, like, different mental anguish and stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um... (laughs) Uh, the way the night sky, the way that the vampires see it as portrayed, is like, mm. really beautiful in particular. Um, it's definitely taking some inspiration from like Van Gogh. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it's a really, um, like a lot of Oshimi's works, I find, as someone who's read some, not all of his stuff, but certainly quite a... a large chunk of his his catalog um mm-hmm. it's very much about there's a lot of feeling to that like it, a lot of it is about reader reaction uh, or like the expression of emotion and impact of mm-hmm. character emotion on the reader that's what kind of what i'm how i would describe it there's <laughs> i don't want to just say like oshimi's manga's vibes but it kind of is especially in happiness like there's a lot going on and there's a lot of plot related stuff a lot of character related stuff but ultimately like it could just exist on without a large overarching plot which for uh, Mm -hmm. for parts of it it certainly feels very disconnected because as you mentioned dry it does cover such a large expanse of time that you it's like there's pockets of consecutive story and obviously we're following just one or two particular characters throughout the entirety of it but mm-hmm. each each kind of segment feels very self-contained as well um in a way that plays to the larger narrative of now existing in this way completely outside of time right um, which mm-hmm. obviously when you're an immortal undead creature, uh, you are completely disconnected from the ties of mortality in ways that for like humans who are very mortal in all of the bad ways, um, is very much an adjustment period, which I think Oshimi does particularly well in this series. Mm-hmm. Um, it is something that can get hand waved a little bit um for just ease of or just genre of of the media um but you know there is a reality of and an impact of a human normal person turning into Mm -hmm. something that ostensibly is completely almost completely different from the in fundamental ways right like they look the same but Mm -hmm. The idea of feasting on blood and not being able to go out in sunlight mm-hmm. and 
all of these other aspects. And again, everyone around you will die because we all have mortal lifespans. That's a, that can have a real impact, psychological as well as physical impact on you. Um, psychological more so than physical. I Well, I think for Oshimi, who is very much a a mangaka who thrives on psychological uh, genre stories, it, it really suits him that that was the direction he decided to take with this particular series. Yeah, there's definitely, um, I mean, within, like, vampire fiction, there's, like, certain themes that get sort of returned to over and over again. And one of those is certainly, like, exploring um, the meaning of life and aging and mortality, specifically by contrasting that with a being who isn't alive and mm-hmm. yet exists mm-hmm. as though they were living, who doesn't age and who is not mortal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely one of the biggest themes of this particular series. Um in that we almost like see vampires portrayed as like an inverted like humanity like yeah that they're sort of equal and opposite in a way uh, almost like looking in a mirror um and we have sort of that through um Oshimi talks about like wanting to make this series sort of an ensemble cast with mm-hmm. a lot of a, a rotating cast of narrators essentially but there's two main narrators throughout the series, um, mm-hmm. one of whom is the boy from the first volume who gets turned into a vampire and then is a vampire throughout the rest of the series. And the other is um, a girl who he befriends, um, who sort of accepts his weird story that he tells her <laughs> about vampires um, because she's lonely. Um and she doesn't really have any friends and she is sort of drawn in by the fantasy of it all Mm -hmm. um and she's sort of the other narrator who we follow through from uh teenagerhood through her death um and so we see that contrast between her growing up and just sort of, even though she had this weird time when she was a teenager, where not only did she obviously meet and befriend a vampire and meet some other mm. vampires as well, but she also was witness to some very traumatic events. And oh, not just yeah. witness, but like, um, she has a run-in with a, a serial killer mm-hmm. um, who is obsessed with vampires um and she ends up with like ptsd from this um she spends like a good few years of her life not leaving her house um and we see how the fact that she's able to grow and change and age um and that her memories become vague after time Mm -hmm. that she's able to move on from this that she's able to get a normal job, make normal friends, and meet a totally normal guy um, mm-hmm. who seems like a real sweetheart. <laughs> and 
then of course she has a second run-in with um this serial killer uh who has like 10 years in the future he's started his own cult Mm -hmm. uh because he's managed to get his hands on uh a a vampire one of the ones that we knew from the first half of the series Mm -hmm. um and so she's sort of re-traumatized by those events um in a big way like oh boy Oh. oh boy um and that very sweet man that she's met um and started dating um gets wrapped up in all of it as well but um again you know she like all of these events they pass um there's only one survivor from this suicide cult but Mm -hmm. he grows up and eventually he's able to sort of normalize find a place in the world Mm -hmm. um even though he's been born and raised within this cult um you know he grows and he changes and he moves on and so does she um for a second time and meanwhile we watch sort of our vampire protagonist looking in from the outside um feeling like he would basically be doing nothing good for her life by being Mm -hmm. in it in any capacity Mm -hmm. um you know never really able to change just going back and doing the same things over and over and over again um so well that's the thing right when when vampire well i mean in any kind of media where we we look at the mortality of humans um humans by nature are very flexible and adaptable because you know we can it's an incredible thing but humanity and people as individuals can get used to pretty much any any situation um because of just the normalization of it um and so when and part of that is because we only have so many years on this earth right we only have you know 80 80 years on average to kick around on this on this blue marble and then you're you're eating dirt but it's because of that you know we don't have i there's for what feels like a really long time for us years or decades of growing and accepting and coming to terms with trauma when you compare that to a vampire who has the rest of eternity ahead of them um it feels like a blink of an eye and true like truly five years or 10 years or 25 years is not a huge amount of time in the grand scheme of things but on an individual level that is a huge amount of time so it's it's always interesting to see like that comparison of the just sheer sense of time difference it this isn't something that just happens with vampires obviously any kind of immortal creature um yeah there's i mean right it, now we've got the anime out for um free run right which yes has a yeah huge theme in that series as well mm-hmm. well i always remember uh, there's this particular particular episode of Natsume where the mountain has a much different sense mm-hmm. of time compared to yeah. like the other yokai because this existed for 
you know tens of thousands of years so it's yeah, it's I mean, all there's a mushishi episode as well about a tree that's in... mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so these are not unique uh themes to any particular monster or genre or whatever but it's all it is one that comes up a lot in vampire manga and media because it's just in innate with the function of them as a creature as a you know entity uh, i don't know how to what kind of word yeah. we want to use for vampires <laughs> um, monster monster feels maybe too harsh i i think monster is the most appropriate because like i think when i'm like comparing like a vampire series that's dealing with mm-hmm. these themes to say that natsume episode about a mountain mm-hmm. spirit like in that case like there's nothing unnatural about a mountain spirit living yeah. for a very long time mm-hmm. and i think that what makes vampires monstrous is um that element of being unnatural Mm-hmm. Um, that element of being aberration to mm-hmm. what the world is supposed to be. Um, and in that sense, it's like whatever um, vampire like media you're looking at. Um, and um, I'm sort of stealing this a little bit from, um, mm-hmm. there's a YouTuber called uh, Maven of the Eventide who does like mm-hmm. reviews of vampire books. Mm-hmm. Um, and she always says like, you know, when you're looking at a piece of vampire media, what you're looking at first thematically is like, what do the vampires represent? Like, yeah. what, what is the vampiric? What is the vampirizing force mm-hmm. in these characters' lives? What is it that is draining their life force, making their lives harder to live? Mm-hmm. Um, to me, within happiness, that's. A lot of time it's a fear of growing up yeah it's um like unhealthy obsession with mortality uh we see that coming up within a lot of characters whether it's the serial killer who's causing all these problems for people mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the cultists um the woman who is our female protagonist who is afraid of growing up and leaving the male protagonist behind the male protagonist who experiences this very monstrous form of puberty that frightens him yeah um like so to me it is that sort of sense of unnaturalness that Mm. sense of unhealthy vampiric forces that makes like the take on sort of mortality versus immortality Mm -hmm. um different in vampire fiction i guess like that's it's a specific like flavor yeah 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 no and i totally that explanation really makes sense and i i agree with that i think it's um but it vampires just inherently because they've been around for i mean they've been around as a concept for a lot longer than the dracula novel but obviously the dracula Mm -hmm. novel like distilled it into an a specific idea or a specific representation um mm-hmm. it's all because it, a lot of these supernatural creatures whether they be from folklore or a more structured 
you know, a horror novel. Um, they, because they've been around so long and because, like, the idea of them as a monster has been used for, at this point, hundreds of years, they are represented, uh, obviously we've said at the beginning of this episode that there's a huge, huge variation in genre for this sort of thing that I there is media that like takes all of that very poignant and pointed exploration of characters and um, you know the immortality of them and then there's stuff that is like oh uh, they're treated more as just like a quirky like person who just can't go out in the daytime so it's like oh how would that like maybe they are just a neat so they don't leave their house <laughs> and like this is their day-to-day -day life with uh, their butler or but, like whatever it is right so they certainly there's like there's, there's like varying levels of thought being put into <laughs> depending on what work you're talking about then. well precisely and uh, that's why like i initially was like i do agree that monster is probably the best word because they are unnatural in the sense of like they don't fit in the natural world in, in the same way that a rock spirit or whatever does uh, but also there's so much media that like doesn't look at them as monsters they're just like <laughs> you know they're just a well, guy it's interesting within manga in particular mm. how a lot of times you see vampires just sort of pulled into the fold of yokai like yeah, they yeah. just become yokai <laughs> which is interesting uh, something like rosaria vampire does mm. this um mm. there's just like western monsters and japanese folkloric like yokai and stuff just together mm. all in the harem they're all just <laughs> hanging out titties out you know yeah, well you know <laughs> as you do um, I find it interesting because I know we had a question kind of regarding how... Uh, are you talking about the one about, like, the history of vampire mythology in Japan? Yes. Before you go on, just so people have context of what we are referencing. <laughs> uh, we got a very thoughtful uh, question from at Sunlit Lake. Uh, it's several tweets in a row. It says... Given that, to my knowledge and Wikipedia checking, Japan has no vampire mythology of their own, what do you think makes the mythos so much fun for a mangaka to explore? Is it simply Hagio's influence, uh, referring to the Po clan uh, from the 1970s, or is there more to its romantic and erotic endurance, especially among women? Um, I'll just read the whole thing right now. Uh, in fact, that's also an interesting question. Why do you think there is so much love for vampires among media aimed at women, especially given the themes of assault? Um, the only male-targeted vampire manga I can think of in recent years is uh, hashtag BRCL Midnight Children, which is a seinen. Um, I'd say there's um, a ton of shonen and seinen vampire manga. Um, it's just that it's not necessarily what I read. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, but happiness is uh, shonen, I believe. Desatsu shonen. 
the the um, one which sh- shall remain nameless from Dempa. Uh, that's a seinen, mm. I believe. Yep. Uh, <laughs> there's yeah, uh, there's a particular Yuri vampire manga series that from the covers looks like it might be really good, but if you know anything about the creator, uh, it's maybe a series worth avoiding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there's there's a lot of vampire yeah there's a lot of vampire sorry to cut you off Ray. um no there's worries. a lot of vampire series seinen and shonen around i just and not just from recent years obviously you mentioned rosaria vampire as one there's mm-hmm. uh mars red that's a seinen and mm-hmm. not good so i don't recommend it but <laughs> that's also out there and existing um yeah, there's yeah, a. I mean, um, Seraph hmm. of the End, my, uh, <laughs> my uh, long-term cause of my personal suffering <laughs> is a shonen series. Call of the Night is a huge one right now. Yes, a yeah, series. yeah. Um, Toss, which uh, this person mentions in the next tweet, is mm-hmm. certainly you know targets a female demographic as well but it does also have a large male readership yeah um so they do go on to say oh and technically vanitas i guess but i mean gestures to it's everything (laughs) Um, vanitas is an incredibly bisexual series we will get to it (laughs) we will get to it um but to that point like there is uh what i was going to say it's it's I don't think it's inherently surprising that vampire manga or vampires as an idea are super popular in Japan. And they're super popular everywhere, obviously. Like, Twilight mm-hmm. was a thing. Um, the idea of vampires are just that little bit of, like, they're they're not too, like, unhuman that, like, yeah. they're... It's it's baby's first monster fucker, right? Like it's they're human enough that like you can you can feel like they're sexy, right? They have an inherent eroticism to them that like the swamp thing doesn't have necessarily, or like even werewolves. Like I mean, unless you're not a coward. Jeez. I well I know I'm not saying like this is not me kink shaming thing but things but like there's a reason that like romance novels the bodice rippers non manga bodice rippers are always like oh my being bred by the werewolf or like bitten by love and it's about vampire like billionaires yeah. vampires werewolves and maybe a sexy alien are like the top. <laughs> absolutely the top for those mm-hmm. sorts of like fantasy oh he's dangerous but it's fine because he loves me he's not gonna hurt <laughs> me um like playing into that fantasy right and and yeah. the idea of like oh and he's not even human so it's even more dangerous than just like a weird abuser (laughs) that is normally like the ceo or the billionaire um it's yeah it's a fantasy right so Mm -hmm. that's why it appeals to female readers it's why twilight was so popular even though it wasn't inherently like written well um it's just it's that idea of like oh he's he could kill me but 
he's not going to, <laughs> which I think is just like there's yeah. there's an element that for a lot of women or a fab people, they have been raised to either like fit into this you need to be protected style of like mm-hmm. place in society, but also like typically women and afab people are running households they got a lot they're they're doing everything they've got work they've got they're usually running a household they've got a million different stressors in their life they just want to relinquish control to a sexy vampire Mm. every so often and not have to deal with it (laughs) (laughs) and there's also like you know a a lot of like okay as a long-term <laughs> vampire enjoyer, <laughs> uh, there's multiple levels to this fantasy, and depending on uh, which, like, female-oriented, maybe more romance-oriented vampire mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> literature <laughs> you've chosen, um, it may, like, focus on different aspects more or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's certainly, like, the ones that focus on you know, the very literal bodice ripping, like, yeah. those, like, themes of assault and the like that you, mm-hmm. uh, at some point, like, mentions. Um, that tends to not really be my thing, but it mm-hmm. is for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, you don't need vampires to find that in romance fiction. It's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of, you know, some mysterious stranger coming to you in the night and just ravishing you is, I mean... <laughs> It's a fantasy. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's also an element of, yeah, protection. Like, a lot of times with, like, vampire stuff, it's like, you meet this sexy, mysterious guy, and through him, you, you know, you learn his terrible secret, and you learn that there's this whole world out there of, like, vampires that, like... You know, and now that you know about it, you're in danger. You're in and so, so much has danger. To protect you because he's stronger than you. <laughs> <laughs> There's also an element of like nurturing a lot of times, where it's mm-hmm. this idea of like, you know, I have to have this incredibly awesome vampire bitey sex with this guy to keep <laughs> him alive. <laughs> I'm the reason he's alive. <laughs> there's like there's also the fantasy of like you know maybe you're kind of disillusioned with real guys as they are right now and you have maybe a fantasy about like you know an old-fashioned guy who's chivalrous and opens the door for you and you know (laughs) vampires can provide that because the guides are literally 300 years old you know You know, there's, and he's probably some—he's right? probably some sexy, <laughs> vague European, right? Like, oh, he's—he's he's not like—he's not like my husband Jeff from Minnesota, right? Like, there's some. There's... <laughs> it's just it's so funny. This is like this is like the stereotypical reason to love Takarazuka too. <laughs> like, he's not like my dead yeah this otokoyaku is so much cooler than any real man Mm. he wouldn't do me he wouldn't do me like my deadbeat husband who always works until 3 (laughs) a.m um 
I mean, so, like, if we're talking about, like, romance fiction, I think there's, like, quite a few obvious reasons why vampires are popular. Mm. You know? <laughs> a lot of, there's a lot of different angles to the fantasy. Well, that's what I was saying. Um, it's like, that, it makes sense as to why for, there, there's a larger, probably, demographic of women who engages with vampire fiction in every form. Not, not inherently just for sexy stuff, because as a, a woman who enjoys horror, and as, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, you are the same, I'm sure, right? There's, like, other oh, yeah. cool elements about <coughs> vampires, but, like, yeah. it doesn't surprise think, like... me that the sexy European appeals to women, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah. Uh, but in terms of, like, them becoming popular in Japan, mm-hmm. uh, you're right as far, uh, speaking to At Sunlit Lake, they are right, um, as mm-hmm. far as I know that, like, essentially vampire lore, like, the western concept of a vampire sort of came over to Japan with stuff like Bram Stoker's Dracula, with, like, early, uh, cinema as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, like, um, they would have had stuff like the Chinese, like, Yong Shi, like, mm-hmm. there's, mm-hmm. like, myths about blood-sucking monsters the world over, but certainly, like, that Western conception, that more, like, <laughs> sexy conception, yeah, yeah. sexual deviance kind of thing, of uh, vampires came about with more, like, Western media coming over to Japan. Um, but, like, I mean, I think it's, it's compelling, so that's why it spreads, kind of thing. It's, you know, stuff like, uh, Anne Rice's The Vampire Chronicles, making vampires sexy. It's, you know, I mean, stuff crosses over, like, across the ocean all the time. Like, you know, how are you going to explain the fact that one of the biggest, most popular most rampant tropes in Japanese BL right now is ABO. (laughs) Where do you think that came from? Because it hits all the kinks and Japan loves embracing the kinks. Um, But also, like, I find that maybe, as you said, like, this this stuff is very cross-cultural anyway. It's very universal. But Japan as a, like, Society has always had like yokai and monsters and things mm-hmm. in it inherently like there it's always been part of quote-unquote mm-hmm. popular belief so like the idea of what is ostensible like very often gets called european yokai uh a i.e mm-hmm. vampires and werewolves and things is just like that's just an extension of that in the same way that there's like tanuki mm-hmm. and foxes that can you know, do magic and stuff. It's like, yeah, of course. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like, oh yeah, that's sure. Yeah. That's fine. That's normal, right? <laughs> Everyone has that. So <laughs> it yep. doesn't surprise I think me it fits, at all. It fits very neatly into, yeah. like, Japanese horror tropes. Because a lot of time, like, Japanese horror is very focused on, like, human psychology, mm. on, like, old objects taking on lives of their own. Yeah. About, like melancholy spirits trapped within different things like i feel like vampires slot into that pretty naturally so mm-hmm. yeah 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and Japanese people are always happy to welcome new monsters into the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, it does help, as at Somewhat Weeks mentions, that uh, early in shoujo manga's history, we did have a uh, very influential vampire series, mm-hmm. which uh, I was actually going to segue into from Happiness, because Happiness has a theme of immortal teenagers, and mm. so does this. <laughs> um, if that's okay with you, too. Absolutely. Go right ahead. Okay. Uh, we now have the the full original run available in English in two oversized volumes. This is uh, Motohagia's The Poe Clan, <laughs> um, uh, which means a whole lot to me for reasons that I'm sure our listeners. Uh, are well aware of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the original run of this series was five volumes, um, and it's told asynchronously. It's told out of order. So the volumes that we got in English are in original publishing order. Uh, so as they would have been published in magazines, um, which means that they are out of chronological order, the stories within it. Yes, yeah. Uh, this, The Poe Clan is about, uh, well, it's about a uh, boy named Edgar Portnell, who at the age of 14 is turned into a vampirella, uh, because we need to have just a slightly more extra name for our vampires, <laughs> because this is 70s shoujo. Um, <laughs> But he gets turned into a Vampirella by the king of the Poe clan, which is a clan of Vampirellas, um, at the age of 14. They were supposed to wait until he came of age, but there was a sudden attack on the clan that necessitated that he be made into a Vampirella early, essentially. Mm-hmm. Later on, he is... He ends up turning his little sister, Mary Bell, into a Vampirella when she turns 13. Mm -hmm. Um, And like a hundred years after that, uh, he meets a boy named Alan Twilight. Um, So we've got Edgar and Alan of the Poe clan. It's a little gimmick there. (laughs) Um, He meets Alan Twilight who he senses a kindred spirit in. Um, After uh, some unfortunate events uh, result in the death of his sister um, and the sort of vampire parents that he'd been traveling with, uh, he ends up turning Alan into a Vampirella as a replacement for Mary Bell. Um, And things go from there. So, obviously, he spent over 100 years together with um, the Baron and Baroness Portnell and with his sister and mm-hmm. then he ends up spending well over a century together with Alan as well um, and each sort of chapter within the Poe clan is a vignette within mm-hmm. Edgar's long long life <laughs> um, generally either featuring Mary Bell or featuring Alan mm-hmm. Um and 
because there's a, a very short period of time where those two overlap. But <laughs> yes, yeah. and they're told out of order, so mm-hmm. which ends up like creating this sense that time doesn't really matter, um, which is of course very true for the characters within the series. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, their life is a series of moments that doesn't really have an end. So. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. we have, yeah, those five volumes that were published in the 70s, we have in English. There's also a sequel series that started mm-hmm. in 2018, mm-hmm. um, which continues the story, also fills in some gaps, like it continues to be out of order. Yeah. Um, but it also has a 2016 storyline, so it continues how things happened after Edith. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's um it Koi Clan is quintessential classic shoujo, right? Like it's it's one of those titles that uh you and I as Year twenty four fans were in like we were wanting anyway, but it's been really interesting to see this engagement with classic shoujo. But as kind of already previously discussed and mentioned as well like it really it vampires and this sense of time not mattering the really fits into this the the whimsy is maybe not the right word for it but like that was very much the vibe of a lot of 70s shoujo so like the idea (laughs) of vampires who exist outside of chronological time just suits it Mm -hmm. really well it's really easy to put them in or insert them into a story or a timeline that already is kind of a little bit is is ready to engage with like very unusual or um styles of storytelling right like a lot of how do I want to say this? It really engages in a different style of storytelling that for, mm-hmm. it just really feels like classic shoujo manga. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that is just the bias of this being a really prominent work um, from that period and from an extremely prominent creator and certainly one that captured, not at the time, but has become a classic within Hagio's uh, you know, very broad scope of work. Um, that I'm looking at this on as in hindsight, but whether it was sci-fi, whether it was you know this more romantic style of vignette, whether it was you know just a more anything, like the the whimsy and the way that the story engages with the audience was a lot more willing to be experimental maybe um which for mm-hmm. this kind of story just works really well um it was a yeah. good it was a cal- good calculated maybe uh <laughs> decision to use vampires because you could you could write this story without like i mean you, te- mm-hmm. you wouldn't it would be completely different but you could have like this this very queer 
historical <laughs> vignette style of tragedy without there mm-hmm. being vampires. But the fact that there is vampires like makes it work that much more. And it also gives the longevity to the story as well. Um, we've spoken previously yeah. about Hajio's works kind of exist, especially her historical uh, fiction type of stuff, Poe Clan and mm-hmm. uh, Horror Thomas, kind of existing outside of uh, quote unquote history. Like they don't, you can't necessarily yeah. put a pin in where, like, oh, this was definitely 1872. Like it doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. That's not the point of it. Um, mm-hmm. And so timeless creatures timeless beings um really work well for that because it's like oh yeah it's just vibes you know sometimes we're in uh victorian england sometimes we're in 1970s sometimes we're in you know 1923 and you're like okay cool yeah that's cool (laughs) whatever and i think as a creator that's a really fun thing to do as well you're not you know shackled to one particular setting or time period Mm -hmm. um, which is why i would i absolutely wouldn't fault hajio for coming back to the story and like just having fun with it and putting like oh what if these characters were in 2016 they got iphones now like it's just like (laughs) like, it's just interesting (laughs) it's a fun thought experiment if nothing else yeah the sequel's fun because like you know, her style and what she is concerned with has changed so much. So it's like, yeah, yeah. you see a lot more fleshing out of the lore, which is mm. very sort of, you know, what <laughs> I need it to be when I need it to be. Yeah. Not, yeah. Like in the original five volumes, but she uh-huh. very much like takes it and fleshes it out in a more uh, sci-fi author kind of way. <laughs> um, there's like a, a one-fifth column in... Um, one of the it's included in um the second fanographics volume but Mm. it's where she's just kind of musing about what happens to the vampire's clothes when they die (laughs) because they turn into dust yeah yeah. um and she's just like it would be really unromantic if like a vampire turned to dust and they were wearing like modern underwear and it just was left behind <laughs> and it ended up in the British Museum like as Vampirella underwear. <laughs> so I think I think there's just a pocket dimension that opens up when a vampire dies and all their clothes just go in there. <laughs> um, but she takes that and runs with it in the sequel where yeah. it's like some Vampirella are capable of like dimension hopping and Edgar ends up being able to do that. Um, because he has a very powerful Vampirella, but um, stuff like that is really fun. Mm-hmm. She's definitely more. I would say she was always like really having a ton of fun, like looking up like historical realia and like yeah. you know fashion plates and the like. Um, depending on the era she was drawing, she yeah. really had a lot of fun, like you know making sure the suits were era appropriate. But uh-huh. <laughs> um. <laughs> The sequel is much more like, you know, this is this historical period in time and these events were happening around them. Um, So that's kind of interesting. But uh, in terms of the Poe clan, I think 
something that's interesting about it, the inspiration she had to do vampires came from, at least she says, is uh, Shotaro Ishinomori short story about vampire mm. sisters. Mm. Um, which, you know, we'll never see in English. <laughs> um, Cry. She really liked that short story, so she was originally going to sort of just do the same thing, like have a story about vampire sisters. But uh, we know our Hagio. She uh, feels kind of uncomfortable uh, putting her thoughts in a female character's mouth. So she ended up switching uh, the genders of the characters to boys. Um and we ended up with our eternal bisexual vampire boyfriends. <laughs> uh, but also, like, she, a big part of why she ended up writing the Poe clan was because she'd just finished an exchange in England. Mm-hmm. And she was just going through a major tea of phase. She was really into <laughs> England and she wanted to write about British characters, sipping tea, you know, doing British things. <laughs> So, and you definitely get that a lot. There, there's a sense of like, there's a lot of like references to British fairy tales and folklore. Yeah. Um, characters just like reciting random like Mother Goose rhymes, um, just for the vibes, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I feel like a lot of what the series looks like visually, like there's a lot of elements of like Victorian Gothic aesthetic. Yeah. And then there's also a lot of elements of like fairy tale aesthetic. Um especially once Edgar and Alan are like together. Um there's a lot of like fairy tale aesthetic going on. Uh like the story where they're raising a little girl in the woods. Um or like the story where Edgar meets this piano teacher who seems mm-hmm. to be lost in her own little world. Um, and I think that sort of adds to this element of like being out of time that we're sort of in a fairy tale as some like said I I do think that part of the popularity with this style of vampire is very much informed by Hagio Uh, Mm -hmm. you know it's it's been a huge influence it's it's certainly one that informs kind of the larger discussion and obviously shouldn't be ignored because it has been hugely influential for decades and decades and decades and decades. And I wanted to mention like in terms of that idea of like what does what do the vampires like represent? What is the mm-hmm. vampiric force here? Mm-hmm. Um Certainly a lot of the drama throughout the series, a lot of the brooding comes from the fact that these are like 14-year-old children who have been frozen in time, um, even though they weren't supposed to. Um, And uh, I actually wanted to quote, it's a rough translation by me, (laughs) so take it with a grain of salt, I guess. but this is from like an NHK special that's fairly recent. I think it's from 2018, the same mm-hmm. year the sequel started and um, the Takarazuka version aired. Um, that was called like Hagiomoto's uh, The Poe Clan in 100 Minutes. And she says about, hang on, 
about mm-hmm. Edgar. Um, she's talking about like what inspired uh, the character. And she says, um, there are people who society hates and denies as heretics, but those people have hearts too. I was always a dropout. My parents would always say to me, why can't you do anything right? For those of us who can't fit into the educational system as it is, people really act like we don't have hearts. They act like they can say anything at all to us, like they can educate us any way they want, like it's okay whether they call us stupid or bad or tell us to just go die. But it really hurts to be the kid hearing those things, because of course we do have hearts after all. So it was from the point of view of one of those kids that I drew Edgar. So there's definitely, I think, this thematic through line that's really obviously going to speak to uh, teenagers (laughs) and tweenagers who feel, like, left out, who feel like they're too weird and they don't fit in and they're never going to fit in, um, that they can see in Edgar sort of someone else who society has just sort of decided is wrong. Yeah. Just shouldn't be there he shouldn't exist you know why do you live demon kind of thing um and that's sort of a through line throughout the series it's what alan and edgar initially see in each other um and it keeps coming back and coming back that like they can't let people know anything about themselves because they'll just get killed (laughs) yeah you know people will bring out the pitchforks and torches um, and I think it's important to that end that the Vampirella are pretty vulnerable. They're not like sometimes vampires are like you can't kill them with anything, but like you know, a Vampirella will pretty much snap in a strong enough breeze. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they wilt roses, which is super goth. You know, <laughs> they can be stabbed. They can, you know, um, they are frightened by uh religious items and i also think that this really contributes to like queer readers in particular Mm -hmm. finding a lot to connect to here um not not even just because edgar and alan have a very ambiguous relationship that has led this to be considered one of the first bl series um you know even though they're not like quote unquote canon or whatever like they are (laughs) right (laughs) They are. Uh, But it's like on top of that, there's this element of like, you know, being cast out, being considered heretical and unholy that I think speaks to uh, queer readers a lot. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's religiosity, the religious aspect of vampires, of that like unclean or like unholy that's the word unholy mm. uh monster is something uh, again across across all the modern iterations of of you know post, a post dracula vampire world yeah actually um i think that that sort of like religiosity especially like all the christian and Catholic motifs in the Poe clan are sort of unique. Like, um, Bonitas gets into it a bit as well, but it's, yeah. like, not necessarily something that 
shows up in manga versions of vampires a lot. Yes, yeah. And I mean, it makes sense, because it's not like a Christian country. Exactly. Um, but I think it, you know, it does speak to that sort of universality of, like, this idea of living a lifestyle that's considered deviant by, mm-hmm. like, dominant forces within culture. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, Christianity. Like, you know, just because Japan isn't a Christian country doesn't mean that it's, like, super easy to just be out and proud and openly queer wherever you go. Like, (laughs) so, like, those, like, that Christian imagery can, like, represent just, like, any, anything that's making you feel like an outcast. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess since I mentioned it, we can go on to Vanitas if you'd like. Sure. Vanitas is an interesting one. This is, for those who don't know, from the same creator as Pandora Hearts. So it's a shonen, but it's very uh, much... The full title is, the hmm. full title is um, The Case Study of Vanitas, um, for those who want to look it up. Yes, yeah. Go on. Um, it's... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no problem. Um, so it's very much a, it's a shonen manga, but it certainly is more geared towards the, like, female readers. Um, it doesn't hide its very, um, queer, (laughs) will they, won't they relationship between the two main male characters. Um. It's a buddy cop dynamic. Yeah. In um, a weird, well, I say weird, in an interesting steampunk-esque version of historical France, um, Mm -hmm. which is, again, just vibes, great setting, love it. Um, The aesthetic here, on point. So good. (laughs) But this is the story of, like, vampires kind of live openly in society, but they're not... They're still kind of... Well, sort of. Like, sort of. They, if they're in, like, main, like, real world Paris, they they kind of have to be a little secretive um, because the church has convinced people that all the vampires are dead. Um, yeah. But if they live in, like, the vampire world, which is, like, the parallel universe version of Paris called Altus Paris... Then they just kind of hang out. (laughs) Live their lives. It is, it's certainly a, it's one that I think has really, I mean, obviously we mentioned that it's a shonen that certainly doesn't hide away from its female fans. Um, But it is one that I think crosses or treads out that line really well. Um, It doesn't, it has enough action in there that even... The, the bros who are like no man there's just those those crazy fangirls talking um, about you know in just completely oblivious to any homoeroticism there may or may not be um, I think even they would enjoy this series uh, and maybe learn a little bit about themselves and learn to embrace learn to embrace the gay we we live in hope. Uh, I definitely felt like I'd been spirited away back to, like, 2008 when, uh-huh. <laughs> like, looking at the comments sections for, like, 
the uh, anime adaptation of the series and oh just seeing God, a bunch of dude yeah, bros yeah. like arguing over whether they're gay or not. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, obviously, my lads, they are bisexual. <laughs> they both have a lady love um, who they care about very much, and they also care about each other. And their lady loves also care about each other, and it's a beautiful bisexual polyamorous polycule. Obviously. Yeah, exactly. Obviously. Uh, these... These people don't know what they're talking about, obviously. <laughs> this is settled. This is just, mm -hmm. it's just canon, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, this series is great. It's just like, um, I caught up with the series because I was a bit behind on the manga. So I caught up with it for mm. this episode of the podcast and... <laughs> Uh, ended up rewatching the anime with my partner because it's just like every time I read a new volume of the series, I just get re obsessed with it. It's just fun. It's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good time. It's, uh, yeah, it, it feels very like 2010s. Like, even though the anime came out last year, like, mm -hmm. it, it definitely feels just a little bit retro. For sure. Uh, you know, that's like the era I grew up on anime. That's when I was watching the most anime and the most into it. So uh, it kind of just makes me feel like a teenager, you know, obsessively <laughs> pirating episodes of Black Butler. <laughs> so, uh, but I really like this series, like not just because it's nostalgic, uh, but... I just think it's a really solidly put together series. Like it's mm -hmm. um very coherent in ways that Pandora Hearts definitely wasn't always. <laughs> um <laughs> it's beautiful. Um the entire series, the character designs, the backgrounds, the vehicle designs are stunning. Um mm -hmm. and Mochizuki Jun is um very much like she is really good about lifting up her assistants. She recognizes them by name um, at the end of every volume and points out like the things that they've been working on. Um, so she's got one of them who's really got a knack for vehicle design, and that's what that assistant does is the vehicle design. Um, <laughs> she also was like one of the first creators to put her series on hiatus, and she did so uh, for the pandemic. Um, and she did so specifically because she was worried about her assistants commuting uh, to work uh, when it was mm -hmm. unsafe for them. So um, I was like pointing that out because I feel like a lot of mangaka kind of try to avoid talking about the fact that they have assistants. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I really appreciate uh, the mangaka who are very like forward about the fact that they have a team of assistants and like also you know use the platform that they have to like acknowledge the assistant skills as artists um mm -hmm. i think that that's really neat so <laughs> that's a tangent but <laughs> but the, so the series is beautiful um the setting is beautiful it's france it's 
like Victorian era. I mean, Victorian is England, but um, it's the late 19th century. It's steampunk. It's gorgeous. Um, everyone's super well-dressed. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, in general, in terms of like pacing, it moves along really quickly. It slows down when it needs to. Uh, the character beats feel like they come at the right times. It's just a very well-crafted series, I think. Good entertainment, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It just, it, it's fun. It's got great heart. It's got great character beats. It's got great action for those who are so inclined. It's just overall, just, as you said, a really good time. Very fun. It's a good good way to spend an afternoon reading and or watching that series um and yeah it, it certainly has the the feel of a nostalgic youth right where wherein we were all watching black butler and d gray man and just you know enjoying ourselves and getting caught up in ship wars <laughs> and now we're old ladies and we don't do that anymore but and it we don't do that like... anymore because the correct answer is right there before our eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Polyamory but solves just... everything, damn it. <laughs> well, exactly, right? Why can't we just have more truffles in this world? I Truly. don't know. A question for the ages. Um, but it just, it just is always so much fun kind of revisiting something from what, which is a modern day take i guess or it just has that feeling of nostalgia despite being very contemporary um i also think that much in the same way that the poe clan is super queer uh this series mm -hmm. also is um this series also uh prominently features the catholic church yes. <laughs> uh and they're you know they're not the good guys <laughs> um I mean, there's a couple who are decent, but, you know, they're not, they're not the most pious <laughs> of chassers. No, no. <laughs> so, uh, the church in general is definitely an antagonistic force within this series. Um, and we also have, like, I think the lore for the vampires in the series is very interesting. Um, because the vampires don't, like, turn each other, they're just sort of born. Um, and they're specifically born because, like, the world, um, of the case study of Vanitas is essentially made out of math. Like, there's, uh, you know, there, there's a, a matrix that can theoretically be accessed that contains all of the world's formulas, the equations that make up every single thing in the universe um and if you can figure out how to access that matrix then it's possible to alter essentially the dna of the very universe itself um and we have sort of an alternate history this is the breaking point right the, the point where yeah. our world and this world like separated in their continuities um and that was, um, you know, a couple hundred years before the series takes place, whatever. Um, and basically it was this, like, 
very zealous scientist who wanted to play God, um, ended up figuring out how to access the world formulas, and he just kind of fucked with them, you know? You know, as they do. Those bloody scientists, I swear. He's like, you know what? I think I can do this better. Um, and he changed <laughs> the map, and it caused horrific calamities the world over, as one can expect. <laughs> it also caused, like, the some some of the things in our universe to just end up a little wrong, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so coal got fucked up and turned into this, like, super element called Astromite that now has made it possible for this, like, steampunk utopia to exist and these, like, crazy airships and everything. Um, all the steampunk technology is run on Astromite. Um... And it also created uh, vampires. So the formula for human beings just got a little fucked up. <laughs> and yeah. uh, these people who had red eyes and thirsted for blood suddenly started appearing. Um, just as a new subspecies of humanity. Yeah, again, as you do. Uh, because they are sort of aberrations created by fucking up the world formulas, they are closer to the world formulas than normal humans are, so they're capable of, like, accessing them and fucking with them themselves. That's sort of this mm -hmm. universe's magic system. Um, and they also sort of inhabit uh, that alternate world that has the world formulas in it, which is called Altus. Um, and it's like, it's just like Paris, but goth. <laughs> <laughs> um, and all the vampires live there. Um, and there was this big war between the vampires and the humans. Uh, the humans won, chased the vampires back to Altus. Um, and the church decided to convince all of the humans that the vampires are all dead. Um, but they're not. They're vibing. Some of them are vibing in the human world. Yeah, I mean, iconic, really. See, this is, this is the greatest proof that this is a queer series. Um, <laughs> and that the vampires in this are inherently queer. Because the vampires literally exist because... Someone was bad at math. <laughs> and as we know, gays are bad at math. <laughs> it's science. Bad um, at math, bad at driving. <laughs> um, I bet the vampires are bad at driving. I, I don't know. <laughs> That's why they've got all those horse-drawn carriages, yeah. right? You just leave it to the animals. Obviously. They'll figure yeah. it out. They'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly Noe would be a bad driver. He, uh... He's, he's a very distractible gentleman. <laughs> um, there, There's no eyes on the road for that, that boy. <laughs> nope. Eyes everywhere but the road. <laughs> um, uh... Yeah, but I think it's interesting, this idea of, like, in this case, the vampires are, like, their very existence is heretical, right? Like, they yeah, shouldn't yeah. exist because they're fucking with nature. 
Um, so, like, I think that that is very compelling, and I think it's particularly compelling, again, to, like, queer readers and queer viewers. Um, this idea that, like, just by existing as you are, there's something inherently wrong with you um, that needs to be rectified by destroying you, like, by writing you out of the human race. Um, that's certainly something that I think speaks to I mean, a lot of different groups of people, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that, like, if we're talking about, like, the vampiric force that these vampires mm. represent, I think that, I think one of them is grief. Like, there's a huge, like, thematic through line about grief and dealing mm. with grief in healthy versus unhealthy ways. Um, but I also think there's this idea that, like, any person can just be heretical by existing. Yeah. So, because that is something that Ronnie Toss definitely struggles with as well. Me and my partner rewatching the anime have been, like, talking about how incredibly transcoded Ronnie Toss is as a character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Just deeply transmask vibes from Ronnie Toss. Mm. Um, right down to how incredibly Chuni Bio he is with his stupid <laughs> gloves. You're not wrong. You're not wrong, Ray. <laughs> Love Bonnie Toss. Love that asshole. <laughs> <laughs> that one I think will be finishing up sooner rather than later, so maybe we should add yeah. it to our list for series spotlight. Um, we can talk about, um, I think just briefly, because we actually have done uh, a deep dive on this series but definitely worth mentioning in an episode about vampires is a favorite series of both me and G uh, which is Devil's Line um, <laughs> uh, this series is excellent this series is not talked about enough by enough people um, it's really really good <laughs> I'm Kodansha. I'm waiting for the sequel. You cannot not give me the sequel. Please. I need to know what happens ten years later. I I need to. It's part of my mental health uh, self-care. Just (laughs) give it to me. (laughs) Uh, Yep, I have... G knows that I gave in and bought the Japanese volumes of the sequel, and I'm now caught up on the musical. <laughs> so bloody jealous. And it's really good. Um, and it has cult mm-hmm. shit, so I know G's gonna love it. <laughs> Why? Why do you torment me so, Kadansha? <laughs> I just... I, I don't ask for much in life. Um, truly. Truly, this is a personal blight on myself. Um, As we've mentioned, there is um, a sequel to this series, but we do have the entire original series in English uh, from Vertical slash Kodansha. It's 14 volumes. It's like, it's 13 plus a epilogue of sorts that's like, following all the characters after the events of the main series. Mm-hmm. This series is, like, speaking of shonen and seinen, and, like, just non-romance, 
um, vampire series manga in general. Uh, this is, it is in large part a romance, but like if I was going to like put it in a genre section at the bookstore, like this is a political thriller. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, you know, it's about our, uh, you know, straight laced cop protagonist, Bonsai. <laughs> um, it starts off very much like a, a police procedural. Um, he's dealing yeah. with, uh, you know, police cases, having to deal with devils, which is our uh, vampires in this world. When they see blood or are around blood, have a tendency to go into a frenzy like a shark and just carnage ensues, <laughs> which has necessitated, even though devils do not officially exist, they are not officially recognized, people don't know about them, um, it has necessitated a secret squad uh, in the Tokyo Metropolitan Police who are specialized in handling devil crimes. Um, and that squad is made up of both humans and devil. Bonsai is half devil, half human. He he hates being half devil and he hates devils. So that's where we mm -hmm. start at the beginning of the series. And he ends up having a fateful encounter with a <laughs> college student named Tsukasa. And even though he feels like it's too dangerous for a human and a devil to be together in any capacity, they're drawn to each other <laughs> as these things go. And they end up spending more and more time together. And uh, we sort of see their relationship go, uh, go where it goes, you know, mm -hmm. as uh, we start to, as, as the devil-related cases that um, Anzai and his squad are dealing with start to show themselves to be more connected than previously thought, and we start to uncover this vast uh, conspiracy within the Japanese government. Um, and there's, like, terrorism, and there's, like, revolutionaries, and you know, political intrigue, and it's just a little bit a cab. The sequel is very a cab, which I'm enjoying. Hell yeah! <laughs> Hell yeah! Um, That's the best news I've heard all week. Yes, it yeah, it goes from there. Uh, it's a very well written um, sort of political conspiracy story. It's super well paced, super like intriguing and exciting all the way through from beginning to end. Um, there's a lot of really good politics in the series. Uh, Rio Hanada is definitely uh, one of the good ones. <laughs> also a queer creator who mm -hmm. incorporates quite a few queer characters in uh, their series. So that's good as well. <laughs> um, it's just really good. And I feel like mm -hmm. if you want to know uh, more about our thoughts on this series and see more of a deep dive into it, uh, check out our series spotlight episode on Couples Lions. Yeah, because we literally spent 
over an hour of just talking about how good it is. Um, <laughs> and everyone should read it. And it has a little bit of, like, there's so much good stuff in there, but it is also a very compelling, like, romance story, yeah. aside from, like, all the revolution, all the, like, exposing bigotry and the horrible conspiracy within the yeah. government. It's just it's, also, like, Ansai and Sukasa are a great couple. I really enjoy that. They're a great that. couple. They're both very, like, complex, interesting characters who grow a lot yes. throughout the series, who grow together throughout the series. Yes. Um, and it's just, like, you know, uh, as we were talking about earlier, like, you know, vampire fiction isn't necessarily where you're expecting to see a lot of, like, healthy, equitable relationships. <laughs> but Tsukasa and Anzai are, like, goals. Hashtag goals. Um, Hashtag goals. Love <laughs> like, them. figuring out how to communicate well with each other. They're, like, navigating, like, consent. And um, just, like, really and truly in love with each other. Best friends. Um, care about each other's lives and the things that each other, like, cares about. Yeah care about each other's growth like so with like where they are in their lives like Tsukasa I think is like 22 or something 21 yeah 22 23 yeah and then a little um, older a little older and then Anzai's 20 at the start of the series um Mm -hmm. so they're at that age where they're both sort of trying to figure out what they want to do for the rest of their lives so Mm -hmm. Um, it's really nice to see them sort of, like, propping each other up, you know, like, (laughs) cheering each other on as they're kind of trying to figure out who they are. Um, it's just, it's just wonderful. Like, if you've been looking for, like, a good manga romance about young adults, like, you know, forget all the vampires and the government stuff, like, these two are awesome. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and again out of like all of the vampire romance stuff that there is around including in manga this is the one to read like read this one <laughs> uh if you want bodice ripper vibes but still like a pretty healthy relationship like vanitas <laughs> <laughs> the, the 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 relationship vanitas and john they start off questionable but like they do get cute i promise and uh it, it's you know steamy in the way that you want your vampire stuff to be <laughs> especially in the anime oh boy yes yeah yeah <laughs> some animators were having fun <laughs> um well we talked about all the het stuff so uh, we can talk about some more gay boys uh how about the vampire and his pleasant companions? <laughs> yes. I mean, if you're wanting, like, steamy stuff in that one... It, uh, not really, no. Not really. You're going to be waiting a little while. Uh, very asexual-coded character in that yeah. one. If you're looking for the bodice ripper, but with, like, dudes, this not gonna be the one to pick up i would say get fangs get instead fangs <laughs> is very good and will satisfy you on that regard 
Um, the Fangs but... is great. I think we're getting like <laughs> that one's only two volumes out right now. Um, it comes yeah. out very slowly in Japanese. Um, and I think was on hiatus for a while as well. I don't know, but um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, very sexy, very steamy. <laughs> Definitely um, R18 BL content there, but uh, I love that series. I love how, like, you don't really go to BL for, like, good female characters. Yeah. Fangs has some great female characters, and uh, including some uh, female characters of the gay variety. And (laughs) every single person in that series is so fucking hot. (laughs) <laughs> yes yeah. regardless if you're of gender. A, if you're a struggling bisexual like Rang, then it certainly is a series for you are you all right for those who don't know because i will probably cut most of it out ray did just spend like a solid two minutes almost dying uh she did <laughs> choke on her drink um which just goes to show that i am correct in my assessment um it's a struggle. It, it's truly hard. It's, um... <laughs> uh, but, um, to anyway. that point, yes, <laughs> if you are struggling bisexual, like Ray, then you will enjoy this series. Thanks. It's got something for you. It's got something for you. You're not going to be disappointed. Even if you don't necessarily like the main couple, you know, the main characters, there's so many hot people in it. There's so many hot people. So Again, many. this is the vaguely hot European. This is, <laughs> that's just what vampires are. You can never be disappointed. Only, that's that the, the main couple you... is very cute. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm not complaining about main couple, but I'm saying like we aren't manga vampires aren't Nosferatu, or at least not normally, right? Mm-hmm. You're gonna end up with a hot person, and. God damn it, that's what the people want. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you're wanting steamy and hot things, if you're wanting something more that like gets more into the plot, more in like early stages of relationship building, and also uh-huh. like more in the lore of like yeah. vampires as well. The Vampire and His Pleasant Companion is very, very good mm-hmm. uh, and was on hiatus for ages. It's back. Yeah. Um, I know Ray was very surprised when it came back off of hiatus because she had just assumed it ended yeah. really badly with a terrible cliffhanger. And then guess what? <laughs> what? Uh, I bought the most recent volume in Japanese and I read it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> to the surprise of no one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the series is really cute. Um, it's got some very unique vampire lore. Um, we've got our main character, Albert, who is from Nebraska. Uh, this is, the creator of the series is Marimo Ragawa, who is also known for Baby and Me, as well as the BL series New York, New York, uh, which we just got (coughs) last year. Um... And uh, I put it very high up on my top five for the year. I think I put it as number one because G had claimed Shonen Note. (laughs) Uh, If you've read New York, New York, you'll know that Nagawa has a very um, 
Hollywood understanding of America <laughs> and Americans. Um, uh, that I would say that's still very much the case here. <laughs> but anyway, so Albert is, he's from Nebraska. He got turned into a vampire by this chick he was, like, I think gonna have, like, a one-night stand with. I don't know. Um, and except that she, like, she fucked it up. She she only did it halfway. So he turned into a vampire, but he's like a shitty fucked up vampire. Um, <laughs> like Alan in the Folkland. Um, so the vampires in this series, um, they can turn into bats at will. Um, they can also take like other forms. They can turn into... Um, like mist and they can turn into yeah. wolves um albert can't do any of that shit um and <laughs> he can only turn into a bat and uh he can't he doesn't will the transformation it just happens when the sun comes up whether he wants it to or not so he turns into yeah. a bat uh at sunrise and he turns back into a person at sunset every day um his bat form is the cutest, oh, the cutest so cute. little manga animal you've ever seen in your life. He's God, adorable. So freaking cute. It's so, so cute. cute. Like, if you, if nothing else convinces you to read this series, like, read it for the bat. <laughs> <laughs> Legit. So cute. Um, but also, he doesn't have any fangs, so he's... Like, he can't bite people and draw blood. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he kind of just hides out in this, like, meatpacking facility and, yeah. like, sucks all the blood off of the raw meat um, and just lives a very pitiful existence. Um, obviously, his family has abandoned him because he just sort of got buried in the ground and then showed up days later <laughs> outside their house, um, which would be a little unsettling, I think. A little bit. <laughs> so he's been abandoned by everyone he loves, and uh, he <laughs> like can't go out during the day because he's a bat, and uh, he's basically starving all the time because he just has yeah, to lap yeah. up the little bit of blood he can get from this raw meat from the meatpacking facility. And to make matters worse, one day, um, when he's a bat, uh, he accidentally gets packed into a crate with a bunch of meat and frozen and shipped to Japan. Um, and of course, he wakes up when the sun goes down as a buck-naked, like, full-grown man um, and is immediately arrested. <laughs> and then escapes in the morning when he turns into a bat. Uh, because, like, he can't explain his situation to the police even if he wants to. Uh, because he doesn't speak a word of Japanese. Yeah, he's just, like, a Nebraskan teen. He's no, He has no, no idea. He's just like, oh, Oh god, I don't even know what country I'm in, right? Like, how, wh where, oh, that, oh, that, truly nightmare. Truly a nightmare. <laughs> Stop talking gibberish, I only speak English. <laughs> um, 
He's got a very American attitude about speaking <laughs> Japanese. <laughs> Which is not unrealistic, let's be honest. Look, I didn't say it was unrealistic. <laughs> Especially, he's from, like, small town Nebraska. He's this, like, white kid. Like, <laughs> uh, Eventually, like, various hijinks ensue. And he ends up sort of as a bat. Um, they don't realize that the pervert in the cell is the same person as the bat, obviously, because yeah, who would yeah. assume that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, when they catch this little bat, um, one of the police officers, his name is Nukadia, um, is like, this bat is adorable. Hey, I have a weird friend who, like, <laughs> could use a little bit of comfort in his life, to be honest. He's kind of emo. Um, and he likes bats. Him. He likes bats. So um, he takes this bat to his friend, um, Akira. I forget his last name. But, um, <laughs> and Akira is super delighted by the bat. Um, and takes it in and is, like, playing with its ears and, like, playing with its little wings and its little hands. Um, and he works nights, so he leaves to go work his night shift. He works as an embalmer, uh, which is a rare profession in Japan because most bodies are cremated in Japan. Uh, so it's an unusual profession that he has. He comes back, and there's this naked man stealing his <laughs> prime rib. <laughs> like, in his house. And he's like, what the hell? And so Albert ends up in jail again. <laughs> 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 there is a strange man who is just yelling at me I, in English. I have no idea what's going on, why he's here. <laughs> um, he's saying this because Akira does speak English. Um, and he's like he's saying these this weird stuff about turning into a bat. But I just all I know is I came home in the middle of the night. And this naked American man was here yelling at me, trying to steal my expensive meat. <laughs> um, so, uh, we'll skip uh, the rest of the hijinks and say that eventually Albert does end up living with Akira. Um, and, uh, ends up taking a job working as like a janitor at this embalming place. Um, and, like, their relationship, like, grows and deepens as time goes on. Albert is pretty quick to recognize that his feelings are turning to the romantic towards Akira, but Akira is a very shut-off kind of person. He's also very, very asexual-coded. Um, yes. yeah. So... Uh, we'll see how that goes. Obviously, he cares for Al a whole lot, even if he doesn't want to admit it. Um, 
Uh, New Cadia's over here on the side, just like playing Cupid for both of them. <laughs> and uh, yeah, also other like vampire shenanigans ensue. Um, the most recent volume has majorly features um, the vampire who turned, not the vampire who turned Al, the vampire who helped him after he was turned. Mm, 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 um, it's a very funny series. It's like laugh yes. out loud funny. So hilarious. Um, there's a bit of gore in it uh, because it's about vampires. But although I will say, like when Al like gets like the shit kicked out of him when he's in his human form, yeah. I'm like that's fine. But it does happen to him <laughs> once when he's in the bat form, and that was really yeah. hard. That was yeah, really hard to read animal, about. Animal <laughs> abuse warnings for those care it is it's a rough time uh the list of titles that i can talk about goes on and on but are there any in particular that you like want to spotlight before we go into our questions not particularly we start we've mentioned a lot of the vampire manga that i've read just because i haven't read nearly as much as you have um, I'm also per in fairly particular, um, so I, I can't say that, like, from the top of my head I can think of anything that we haven't, prominent, that we haven't mentioned yet. Um, I, though, before we get into, like, questions from Twitter, I did want to ask, because, as said, you've read a whole variety of of vampire manga is there anything like any particular series out aside from that which shall be not not be named <laughs> um that you just uh, like really dislike don't mm -hmm. have any interest in engaging with actively hate that kind of thing <laughs> uh, so <laughs> let's see i've read a lot of vampire series and that means that i've read a lot of bad ones <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, one that I kind of won't touch on principle is, um, Dance in the Vampire Barn. Ah, oh, yeah. Um, I just, I, I just, I just don't want to. I, I don't want to deal with that. You can tell me, like, she's actually 600 years old and, like, actually the plot's really interesting all you want. Uh, y'all can keep that one. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise like i've read all of vampire night that one's bad um <laughs> it's compelling in a way but yeah um, i could do without the incest um right that's half the fun of vampire night from my understanding i mean um... you're not wrong i i will just <laughs> i will just keep it to it's not for me you know it's not for me <laughs> It's definitely very, like, domineering men, like, having mm. and relinquishing control to men mm -hmm. who know better for you, which is not my fetish. So, mm. you know what? The people who that's for can have it. <laughs> uh, Midnight Secretary, I've read. It's just very generic. <laughs> mm. Again, domineering man. This is, like, the Jose variety, so he's like the CEO, and she's like his dowdy secretary. Um, and, you know, they have a lot of sex or whatever. <laughs> like, 
Uh, it's a lot of like boring stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not interested in diabolic lovers. That's very much like if you're into like BDSM and specifically yeah. like, guys abusing the shit out of you. Like it's for that. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm not gonna mm-hmm. I'm not gonna kink shame people who are into that. Like that series exists for people who are into that, and that's fine. It's not my kink, and that's okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, Rose and Blood is a similar one that's like girl gets locked in a mansion with reverse harem full of sexy vampires who are kind of mean to her. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, not really my thing. <laughs> uh, Seraph of the End is somehow my thing, um, but it's <laughs> not something I recommend. It is a mess. Yeah. <laughs> it has dinosaurs in it for some reason. <laughs> Do the dinosaurs make it better or worse? Because a lot of people would argue that it would make it... Like, dinosaurs as a, just a function typically <laughs> make things better, right? But mm-hmm. does it make your vampire manga worse? To include dinosaurs. It made me laugh. And that was the first <laughs> time in a while that Seraph at the End has made me feel anything. So. Oh, well, okay. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just in it to see if the two boys kiss, and they're not going mm-hmm. to, but I keep reading in the vain hope that they will. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fair. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I think that's, that's about it. Uh, there's a bunch of others that are just, like, boring that I've read. Black Rose Alice is kind of interesting, but I feel like if you're mm-hmm. gonna read, um... A Satona Mizushiro manga, you'd better go with um, After School Nightmare, because it's way more interesting. Um, And it's been on hiatus forever. It's for so Uh, long. (laughs) I actually, when you were talking through that list, I was like, oh, that's the other, that's the other one that I've read. And it is interesting, but it's just been on hiatus for so long, it's not really worth it. Yeah. If you want a conclusion, conclusion, it's, you're better going on to other things. (laughs) Um, I do think it's interesting that the vampires are full of bugs that crawl yes. out of their orifices in the middle of the night to go find blood for them. That's pretty yeah. sick. Yeah, it's, it's sort of <laughs> similar to the moss thing in hashtag DRCL. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Just like a, a, a new or a different way of interpreting blood sucking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fun. Um, we love monsters who are just full of bugs. <laughs> That's the read right to left guarantee. Uh, yeah, otherwise, Killing Me is like a pretty generic Yuri. It's only in volume mm. and it's cute. Um, Chibi Vampire is boring and old. <laughs> I don't know. There's not enough blood sucking in it, so it's like boring. <laughs> uh vampire dormitory is boring and shoujo i don't know it's not that interesting <laughs> like i've read a lot of like schlock so yeah 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 <laughs> actually the cirque du freak manga is mm. surprisingly good um it's got an interesting art style and it's a fun read memorable mm. so mm. You know, check that out if it interests you, I guess. Um, yeah. And then I've read, like, a whole bunch of, like, vampire series, especially, like, BL. 
<laughs> in mm. Japanese. Um, that is not in English. Oh, there's a couple that are in English. Um, yeah, there's yeah. a Haruka Kumoto one called When We Were in the Rose Forest. It's a one shot and it's really beautiful. So um, she's really good, obviously. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we have a dedicated episode on uh, Showa Gen no Gurakugo Shinju. So. Yes. Um, but she has a one shot that's about vampires and it's quite good. And the other one is a recent one called uh, The Black Cat and the Vampire. It's mm-hmm. licensed by Tokyo Pop, set in a boys' boarding school. It's very vibes and it's super cute. So, very fun. All right, questions. <laughs> questions. Um, just a couple this time. And we already answered the one from at Sunlit Late. So, thank you for that one. Uh, we'll go to uh, our unofficial moderator <laughs> at Storied Shelves. Uh, asks us a couple questions. Which depiction of vampires did you find the most interesting? Is their first question. I I like anything that can play with the from the typical vampire tropes. I guess I find as mentioned like the a different interpretation of a very classic monster like in Black Rose Alice or like in DRCL hashtag DRCL um, where it's not just like a guy who or or girl who who comes and bites your neck and and you know feasts on your blood there's a little bit of that body horror aspect um, is always cool and interesting and fun Um, I in a similar sense, like, we've, we've made the argument that, like, Devil's Line fits into vampire fiction. They're not technically vampires in the same way that, like, Dracula is. Um, but I do like that interpretation of the story. Similarly, like, Tokyo Ghoul is very yeah. much that, that, like, oh, they're monsters and they're inhuman and they feast on people. But they're not, like, vampire. We don't use this... It's not exactly the same. Our vampires um, are different. <laughs> they're different. They don't have as much Catholic guilt, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is really the main difference. For more classic kinds of vampire, I do... Well, and... Or more classic setting of the vampire or vampire myth, I do really enjoy um, the, the vampire and his pleasant companion... Mm-hmm. Um, which is just a really fun way of doing that. Also, I like the kind of social um, coven style, social style of how fangs is done. I think that's mm, a really yeah. smart way of incorporating vampires into like modern society. Um, mm. I mean, I we've waxed poetic over like all of these vampires already, so I enjoy <laughs> them all in very different ways, but. Um, yeah, it's just all, they're all good, but they're all good for, like, slightly different reasons, and it means you get a lot of variety in this type of story you're reading. I, I like a lot of vampires in manga that I've read because it is a very unique Japanese take on what is ostensibly a quote-unquote European yokai, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of 
vampire media from the US and England and Europe is very set on like the Bram, Bram Stoker's you know, Dracula or maybe Nosferatu, right? Um, where it does have this very highly religious element where it it's very much like, oh, you, they must be invited in and they, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have a reflection. And a lot of Japanese vampires certainly have that aspect, but it's like some of them just don't kind of hand wave some of those rules and are like, eh, mm-hmm. they don't, they don't, aren't weak to garlic. They just don't like it, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot more flexibility in the interpretation, which is what you're going to get when you have this cult- cross-cultural interpretation. I mean, I think we uh, we sort of curate, at least I curated, I, I just told you how many, like, boring and bad series I've also read that have vampires in them. So I'm very much talking about, like, a curated list of the best of the best that I've read of vampires and manga throughout this podcast. So I think you can kind of assume that if it's a series we talked about in depth um, throughout this episode, like, I like the vampires in it. I think the vampire yeah. is pretty sick. Um, I do want to shout out, uh, Tokyo Ghoul, uh, which you mentioned. Um, I thought about whether to include it as a series to talk about in depth, but, um, I think it sort of straddles the line where it's sort of more in line with this really recent trend of, like, cannibal series, um, which is sort of a furthering of vampire fiction, making it more grotesque, combining it with, like, zombie lore, um, which I think is an interesting trend in itself. Um, but there's certainly, like, a lot of overlap with vampire series with that, that series with Tokyo Ghoul. And I do really like the lore in it. I think the ghouls are cool. I think they're interesting. I think they're unique. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, I do really like, obviously, the Vampirella in the Folkland. But, like, I like that you mentioned, like, the classic lore of, like, not having a reflection or having to be invited in. Uh, the Vampirella don't have to be invited in, but they, what I like about them is that they have to consciously think about having a reflection or not being, like, taken aback at the sight of a crucifix. For them, like, appearing human pretending to have a pulse and breath it's something that they can do but they have to think about it Mm -hmm. um which to me like really adds to this sort of queer subtext of like you know sure i can pretend to be something other than what i am you know and survive that way but it's Mm -hmm. hard like it requires Mm -hmm. constant vigilance and work Um, And it's exhausting, and you get tired even if you don't realize that you're masking, you are. Um, And I really like that aspect of the Vampirella, that they have this sort of, like, you know, that they can overcome the classic weaknesses of vampires, but they have to think about it. They have to work. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. They have Mm -hmm. to be conscious of it and vigilant of it at all times. Um, I think that's compelling gonna mention um vanitas as well for the reason that you mentioned i just think that this idea of just the vampires being just sort of a mathematical glitch in the system is really interesting um there's a lot of like super chunibyo like layers to the lore here with like the curse bearers and like 
you know, everybody's got super extra, like, code names for everything. Uh, Hell yeah. So that's fun. Um, there's also a lot of, like, folklore being incorporated. Like, the Beast of yeah, Jabodon yeah. is one of the first major arcs, which is fun. So, yeah. But I would say if we talked about it in depth, then I like the vampires in it. <laughs> I think they're interesting. Uh, the other question from at Storied Shelves is sort of a two-parter. Which series have your favorite outfits and which have your favorite art style? Um, well, <laughs> my favorite <laughs> art style is Monohagia. Yeah, I mean, was that a question to ask? Um, I, aside from Hagia, who obviously is a queen and a classic, um, I do... I mean, and we talked about it as well. Uh, the art style, the hyper realism in the Arcea is beautifully done. A really great way of of showing all the various aspects of that series. Um, it's just lush. It's it it's is lush. gorgeous. It's one of those series that like. It's too gender to be like popular with the people who get manga tattoos, but like it's one of those series that would fit in that kind of vibe. It's like, oh, I want a panel as a sick tattoo. It's very more is more, which I always appreciate. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, oh, Vanitas. I, I really like Mochizuki's mm -hmm. art style. I think it lends yeah. itself well to the setting. And um, it's just like, it feels like a graduation of her art style. Like, yes. what was good yeah, in yeah. Pandora Hearts is great in Vanitas. So. Well, what, what certainly, like, grew to become excellent in Pandora Hearts, because that series had a mm -hmm. bit of a rough early start, as yeah. most early works do. There was a huge evolution of art over the course of that series. Um, it just means that from the get-go, uh, Vanitas is just amazing. Amazing mm -hmm. and beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I also really like um, Marimo Ragawa's style. I think there's a warmth to it that's very pleasant on the eyes. Um, and uh, also shout out Shizo Oshimi, who is just an yeah, incredible yeah. artist. Um, very much knows what he's trying to accomplish with his work and accomplishes it with flying colors. <laughs> it's yeah, absolutely. super trippy, super fun. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Outfits. Uh, Vanitas. Everyone's super smartly dressed in Vanitas all the time. Uh, yeah, one more thing that I wanted to shout out um, is uh in terms of fashion is um predictably for me again the po clan um especially because it does have a takarazuka adaptation and takarazuka mm. has their own in-house costume designers whenever i read the manga now i'm just thinking about the like takarazuka interpretations of those costumes like edgar's classic like silk shirt and uh velvet like leggings that he's got going on Stunningly beautiful in the ways Brilliant. of the adaptation. What a move. So, what a um, look. What a look. Um, <laughs> it's very like Victorian child. 
Hey. Um, but hey, put it on a grown woman, and um, it is a fucking look. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. So the last question that we have, I just realized I should have like. This is a very professional podcast, so um, <laughs> had I been checking these beforehand, I would have realized this is sort of a uh, double up. But uh, at Whimsy Dearest asks, what's your favorite interpretation on vampires in the manga? Like what they are and their origins. Uh, we already answered that uh, with a prior question that was very similar. So uh, I think that means we are done. And with that, absolutely, we are finished. Hopefully everyone enjoyed those answers. It's a really fun topic, one that um, has been on the list for a while, one that I know that Ray in particular certainly was looking forward to um, because it is certainly in her uh, topics of interest. So I hope you all enjoyed that. Thank you, everyone who sent in your questions as per usual um next month we are doing a series spotlight for another very beloved podcast favorite that is of course classic shoujo series rose of versailles um mm -hmm. we will be talking all about it so be sure to send in your questions if you have any we will put out the post on Twitter again if it still exists, where it's it's clinging to life. We just we just it, never know. We never know, um, and I kind of refuse to create any more social media if and when it <laughs> dies. So mm -hmm. we'll figure something out after that. But for now, if you are wanting to follow any updates on the podcast, if you're wanting to send in your questions, you can follow me uh, at Twitter nayx. Um, that is at G G double E underscore reads. Be sure to also follow Ray on her Twitter uh, at whimsical pics. That's P I X all one word. You can also find this podcast on all of the different podcasting platforms that still exist. Spotify has eaten most of them, mm -hmm. um, but Google podcasts and Apple podcasts still exist. So if you are want to listen on those platforms, you can. You can, you also, can also find yeah, yeah. find this uh, podcast on my YouTube channel, Simply G. Um, I think that's two words. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but if you're wanting to follow along and subscribe to the podcast, you can on YouTube there. You can also find my regular, somewhat regular uh video updates ray also has a youtube channel whimsical pictures i don't know long if you've dead. posted anything there <laughs> long uh, dead. in a long time <laughs> but the back back catalog is good so be sure to watch it um yeah that's it is that anything from you ray before we sign out uh vive la revolution <laughs> <laughs> A lot of revolution on this podcast. Um, and if you're not up for it, then I, I don't know why you're hanging around. Follow us on all of those platforms. Thank you guys so, so much for listening. We'll catch you next month in November. Bye till then. Bye, guys. <laughs>